Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and chavur to your Dana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Nazir, daf Samach Aleph, page 61. Page 61, we have a little bit from the previous parak, meaning chapter 8, and then we're going to move on to chapter 9. Here's the part that I think that is important about the first bit on for the previous parak, which is, I would say, the summary as much as your Dina, as much as your chart yesterday gives us really a beautiful summary of everything, the Gemara itself felt the need, to some extent anyway, to kind of wrap up. Because at the very, very end, it, when it's talking about the shaving for the, the person who has tzarat, right? Um, it says exactly, what's the difference if somebody's shaving for one reason or for another reason? Right? That's what's the practical difference? La abure banasa. It says specifically, the question is, are you using, are you shaving? With a razor, right? Or are you going to be removing it with some other means? If you're going to say that you're you're fulfilling a mitzvah here to shave, then using some other means of removing the hair is not acceptable, right? Like the mitzvah is the the razor, but if the point is to remove the hair, the whole idea is to remove that hair with, that was like the growth during the time of impurity. Then you could like rub it off. I mean, the point is any of the means that we have nowadays for hair removal, whether that's, you know, depilatories or different kinds of waxing, whatever, all the different kinds of, we know there's plenty of different ways a person could. Right, so and that's literally the difference between them. And then the Kamara wants to know, well, that's a fine nafkabin, right? That's a practical difference that makes sense. But my, right, what is the halacha? Amarava. Tashma. So Rav is going to give us an answer. There are four different acts of shaving. If you want to say that removing that hair of impurity, right, the growth during the time of impurity, then the three shavings should be fine, right? Meaning two of them are for the tzarat and the last one is for the nizirut. That would be enough for him. So we understand that at the end of the day, the four different shavings, which Yardena, which you talked about yesterday, they're all really in the category of the mitzvah of shaving. Meaning, so we have to conclude from that that we're talking about shaving and not other means of hair removal. And what I liked about this particular... events at which shaving take place and the Gemara kind of wraps that up for us and that's the end of that chapter chapter 8 we move and now on we're on to our, our last chapter of Nazir I know and, and here we're really going to see wrap up right meaning we're going to see topics that you know they're kind of floating as opposed to let's focus on one issue um, over the course of the next five five dappen, um, we're going to we're going to see different topics pop up because, and we keep seeing this. Although I haven't ever seen it like written in some scholarly article, that doesn't mean it's not there. I just haven't found such a one, right? That talks about this structure of of uh, you know sweeps, so to speak, at the end of masachot where they tackle all the different topics that didn't quite get addressed throughout the rest of the Masachet. So I can't say it with scientific certainty, you know, systematic certainty that this is what's happening, but it feels that way as we go through it. Uh, now, towards 
still in the middle, really, but toward the top of Samach Al, page 61. Non-Jews do not have Nizirut, meaning the halachot of a Nazir just don't apply to a non-Jew in any in any situation. Now, obviously, non-Jews, in modern Hebrew, a Nazir, if I'm not mistaken, Nazir is the term that is used to, to the translation could be a monk, if you're talking about non-Jewish Nazirim. But in this case, we're talking specifically about how these halachot do not apply, they don't have the prohibitions, they can't bring the offerings, etc. Nashim v'avadim, and this is why it becomes important, right? Women and slaves, yesh nizirut. So often we have non-Jews and women and slaves kind of lumped together as categories of people who are exempt. And in this case, um, women and slaves, in fact, could undertake nizirut. I will note that my son, who's all of nine at this point, said there's some discussion about the the shaving of the head, right? The shaving that the Nazir does. And he was very concerned over whether women then would shave to boldness. And wouldn't that not be so nice? Which I thought was a really interesting question coming from him. And I noted to him, and I'll note to all of you, we don't have an answer yet. Right? We say that the the law, right? The, the application of Nizirut is a stronger when it comes to women as compared to the slaves. Meaning the women are are under God's law, and therefore the nizirut is going to be treated. You know, the women treat the nizirut the same way that a man would treat nizirut, right? In terms of avoiding wine and shaving and contact with dead body and so on. Slaves, what happens if the master of the slave says, "Go drink that wine. Go shave now. You look unkempt. It's inappropriate. You know, whatever." Then there's still a certain amount of um, fealty, right? That the slave has to give his own master. He can't put, he can't subsume all of that. He can't, subsume is not the right word. He can't ignore any like master injunction because he's taken on his root. A man can force his slave, but he cannot force his wife to violate her nizirut. I feel like that's a really important statement just in those few words that he cannot force his wife. We could leave it at that. Yeah, I, I'm not, you know, it's kind of like, wow, this is like one of the few times he can't do something for his wife <laughs> to do something, I guess, at least that. Um, okay, so the Gemara then, uh, now, first of all, I just want to point out that there's different versions of this Mishnah that I've seen. Some say Kutim, um, some say Goyim. I've seen different versions of it. So the one that I'm using has the the word of Kutim, Katania Kutim, Ein Lahem Nizirut, right? So, uh the you know Mishnah tells us that that the Kutim are not subject to the laws of Nizirut. Non Jews can't be a Nazir. Menahani Mile. So once tell us how do we know that? Did Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis teach us Daber El Bene Israel, right? When the um chapter in Bamidbar chapter six talks about all the laws of Nizirut, it says speak to the children of Israel. Belolov de Kalchavim. And so therefore that would exclude non Jews. The Amarta Alehem, right? Because it says uh, but then it says, say to them, Lurabot et avadim. So uh, alehem, the to them, would actually include slaves, which as the Mishnah told us, they can become, uh, they can adapt Nizirut. So then the Gemara says, Lama Likra, right? Do I really need a specific pasuk to teach me that uh, slaves could be included? Ha'amart shaisha right? Evet We know already this halachic principle 
that if there's a mitzvah that a woman is obligated to do, then a slave is also obligated. And this is a whole Gemara that you can find in Chagiga, it's Gezer Shava that they have uh, on page 4a. Uh, I'm not going to go through that now. So why would you need something special in this case? Amar Rabbah, Rabbah says, Shani Hacha. Here it's different. It's the Amar Kra, because the Pasuk uh, about Nidarim in general, like now we're back to our regular Nidarim discussion, which takes place in Bamidbar chapter 30. In verse 3, it says, Ish ki dor neder la Hashem, ohi shavash vu ala sor iser al nafsho, lo yechal devoro kechole yotemi pivyasem. When a man vows a vow to Hashem or swears an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he will not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds from his mouth. So Rabba quotes part of this pasuk, la sor iser al nafsho, to bind his soul with a bond. Bimish and nafsho kinuyalo, right? So someone's soul is his own, right? Another one who can. Uh, who is in charge of himself, right? But a slave, his soul is not his own because he's property of his owner. Right? And his soul is not his own. So I might have also thought with Nizirud, which remember is the quintessential paradigmatic neder in a certain way, right? For those of you who learned Masachat Nedarim with us, right? We started with a lot of discussion about the neder, the vow of Nizirud, right? The Torah teaches us differently. And that's how we learned that actually uh, we need to learn this from the Pasuk, that a slave actually would be included because a slave we would think could not be included because slaves otherwise can't make any uh, vows based on those Pasukim in the laws of vows. The Gemara then uh, is uh, going to want to deal with this first part of, uh, of this Brisa that they quoted about where do they learn from that uh, non-Jews would be excluded. I'm not going to read it. I'll just talk about it outside of the DAP. But they're basically, the, what the rest of the DAP is going to do is it's going to go through different psukim that probably, that prove, right, that maybe actually a Nazir uh, could, sorry, that maybe a non-Jew actually could be a, a Nazir. And so they're going to go through a variety of proof texts uh, to try to explain that. Um, and sort of at the end of all of it, right? So I'm really, I'm jump, I'm not going through all that. I'm jumping actually to the top of Samach Bet, Amud Aleph, right? They basically come to the conclusion, right? That essentially this is a specific halakha about Nazir, that non-Jews cannot participate in being a Nazir because actually the Gemara is able to bring a multitude of proofs to show that actually we could say that a non-Jew should be able to be a Nazir for a variety of different reasons. Um, and that eventually they're just going to say, it's a halacha l'moshem misina. It's just something we know. It's part of the Mesorah of Nazir. And I think one of the things that struck me about this is, is this statement of Rabbi Yochanan, I wish I had kept track of it, but we saw that appear multiple times in this particular Masachat, right? That, uh, you know, that it's just, it's halacha l'moshem misina. And which, what, as we come to the conclusion of our study of Nizirut, what's interesting to me about this is, is that when I think back of the, you know, we've been doing Daf Yomi now for what, Anne, three years? You know, you took a Masechet like Shabbat, which is, you know, there's not a lot of psukim that talk about all the specific malachot, but some of it is based on halachic exegesis and some of it is in Masechet Pesachim, we saw a ton of halachic exegesis, right? Taking psukim in order to learn uh, to order to learn the laws. Then we had a Masechet like a Reuven, 
right? The whole idea of creating an Erev on Shabbat, which we know is really, it's, it's just rabbinic. So there actually was almost no halachic exegesis in that particular tractate because it's all, it's all rabbinic law. Here with Nazir, it's interesting to see it appears in the Torah. It has multiple psukim, and yet we seem to rely in a few times here more, you know, I don't know, in a way that it seems to be sticking out to me, that it's just like it's halachal emotion misinai. It's part of the misora of Nazir, as opposed to it actually being written uh, in the text itself about Nazir. So I, I don't know what that means. I have to think about it. It was a thought that I had today while learning this particular daf. Um, but I think it's interesting for something that has actual text in the Torah itself, that we also seem to need the halachal emotion misinai a lot to develop the halachot of Nazir. So I generally think that's kind of the beauty of our Torah system, that it's written, and because it's written, there's always scope to kind of delve in to figure out what, what does it mean in this case? What does it mean in that case? It's not written down in every, like not every little less thing is programmed. It has to be either, you know, rabbinic uh, muscle, let's say, pulled out, derived, understood, or there has to be a transmission that's external to the text of the Torah because the text of the Torah can't address every possible case or we'd be like totally overburdened by it. So even when you mentioned Shabbat, right? So the verses are there, but it doesn't give us that much information about the Malachot. But then we have, you know, the Mishnah and the Gemara that give us the list of the Malachot. And then the Gemara figures out where it got those Malachot from. Like all of that, what, I, what I've said is rabbinic muscle I feel is um, is the beauty of the way Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat, the written and the oral Torahs, work together to give us practice. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that. And I think there is, you know, there is truth to that. Like, I think maybe that's really what we're sort of getting out of this particular set of laws is it's a real balance between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat, the written law and the oral law. I think in a way I have not really noticed another of the Masakta before. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank is review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stop and our talking comment Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.